If you're able to remain standing just for a moment longer, please do so. Either way, take your Bibles, and let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it's on page 857, if you would like to use a Bible from the church. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. Luke chapter 2, I'd like to begin reading at verse 29 and read down through verse 35. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. It is a treasure. It's a gift. It's a grace from you. We would pray that now as we continue our worship, as we now consider a bit of what we've just read, that your spirit would be at work in our midst, that this too would be a moment of worship, that your word would not merely be information this morning, but that your word would do a work of transforming our hearts, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have taken a jump out of our study in the book of James for these last three weeks of December, and we have begun looking at three testimonies from early in the Gospel of Luke concerning the arrival of Christ. The first two we looked at was the testimony of Mary. The second one was the testimony of Zechariah. And what those two testimonies had in common, among other things, what they were both testimonies that were declared before the arrival of Jesus. Now, this third testimony that we are considering is the testimony of a man named Simeon. And his testimony is after the birth of Jesus. Jesus is now an infant. Simeon, and also here in this same passage, we didn't read uh, about her, but there's a, a prophetess named Anna. And both of them are mentioned in Luke's account, specifically mentioned because of they were... Um, devout Jews, and they um, would daily show up at the temple uh, in anticipation, waiting for the promised Messiah of Israel to come. And yet on this day, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are arriving at the temple for According to Levitical law, Mary was to make a sacrifice at the temple 
40 days after the birth of her son in order to be ceremonially clean. So they're there to make an offering. But it's in that context that Simeon is there. And Simeon makes, takes note of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. And Simeon, and I don't know the details of how all this worked out, but, but honey, an old guy just grabbed our baby. Uh, but, but Simeon holds baby Jesus. And while holding baby Jesus, he declares what we just read beginning in verse 29. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And then here's the verse that I want us to really focus in on for, the most, for most of our time this morning. As Simeon is holding Jesus in his arms, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. There's two things I want to talk about this morning. There is a bulletin insert. The first thing I want to make note of this morning is really what I just read from uh, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I, I want to say some things, and probably I'll say most of my things about this first thing. Um, and that is, I want us to consider the center of Simeon's testimony. For Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon is holding Jesus. Simeon is looking at Jesus. And Simeon is saying that he is seeing salvation. Let's Let's marinate on that for a little bit. When the Bible uses the term salvation, uh, it's, it's a big term in the Bible. There are multiple ways that it is used. There are many things that it describes. There are many layers of understanding that would all be encompassed under this really big term, salvation. But Simeon takes us to the center, the chief focus of the term salvation. We often think of the term salvation, we commonly think of it as a, a, a thing, a thing that we have received or a, a thing that we have experienced, a, 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 a thing which rightly noted, is a thing that is a, a blessing from God. Salvation, when we use it in, in terms of a thing, uh, could, could mean that the thing is the rescue that we have received from our sin. Or we, we could refer it to um, the, the thing that we experience in the forgiveness of our sins. But, but Simeon is not using the term salvation to speak about a thing. Simeon is using the term salvation to point to a person. Simeon is not testifying that Jesus will provide him salvation. Simeon is testifying that Jesus is his salvation. 
Simeon is not thinking about getting something from Jesus. Simeon is acknowledging that he is getting Jesus. By so doing, by holding Jesus in his arms, by looking at Jesus and saying, my eyes are seeing salvation, Simeon is taking us to the central focus of this term, salvation. For the central focus of the term salvation is not a thing that we receive from God as gladly as we receive these things. But the chief focus, the center focus of salvation is Christ himself. Now, it is not wrong to think of the term salvation to describe a host of blessings that Jesus grants to all who believe in him, but each and every thing, each and every blessing that Jesus provides are in and of themselves incomplete. Each and every blessing that Jesus provides us in a sense is preliminary and preparatory uh, in all of its multifaceted layers, that preliminary and preparatory for the ultimate or grand sweetness of Jesus himself. Jesus himself is salvation. So having Jesus, receiving Jesus, experiencing Jesus is actually having, receiving, and experiencing salvation. The ultimate dimension of salvation is living in relationship with Jesus. The grand encounter of salvation is experiencing the relational presence of Jesus. Simeon has been waiting for salvation to arrive. And now that he is holding Jesus, he is now seeing what he has been hoping for. Simeon is holding what he has been hoping for, his salvation. He is holding his salvation, for he is holding dear Jesus. Now, Salvation entails many things to, to mull over. And, and yet what I want us to focus upon on this Christmas morning is, 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 is what, what salvation is at its deepest, its highest, its greatest level. And Simeon's just explained that to us. Now, I know it's Christmas morning, and uh, we've got other things on the docket for today. But if I might, just for a moment, if, if I might just preach from Genesis to Revelation. I'll make it easy on us. I'll start, I'll start at the second to the last chapter of the Bible. The reason I start there is because, well, that's the end of the story. 
In other words, uh, what, what, whatever God's up to, whatever, whatever God's uh, planning to pull off, you would think he'd have it pulled off by the second to the last chapter. And he does, and he will. But I point that out to say, when all the dust settles, when everything is made right, when, when, when everything gets reconciled and put in its proper place, then, then, then what is the grand, chief, greatest, deepest outcome of this thing called salvation? Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, in the picture of the new heavens and the new earth, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The final outcome, the sweetest of all of the sweet blessings, but the, the sweetest blessing of, of salvation will be living life eternally in the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For at the, at the core of reality uh, is a Father who, who, who eternally loves His Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that Father who loves His Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit brings us up into that very experience of Trinitarian love. We get to dwell in the presence of God. God chooses to dwell in the presence of his people. This final outcome of salvation as stated at the end of the Bible, it also is something that we are introduced to at the start of the Bible. In Genesis, first couple of chapters, God made man, male and female, in his image. And God sets mankind up in a garden. And in that garden, he dwells with them. Do you see how the Bible begins and the Bible ends? The Bible begins with God dwelling with mankind. The Bible ends with God dwelling with mankind. The way the Bible starts and the way the Bible ends, it, it emphasizes the, the precious sweetness of the relational presence of God. Now, here's the, here's the rub, though. In between the start of the Bible and the conclusion of the Bible, uh, the relational dwelling and presence of God is abruptly halted. Adam and Eve rebel against God and are banished from the relational presence of God. In a sense, their banishment was for their own protection, for mankind had become corrupted and polluted and distorted. Mankind is barred from the presence of the Lord in that state for such pure holiness of God would destroy sinful creatures. But God begins making promises as early as Genesis chapter 3. Promises that he would remedy the sin that separates God with man. Promises to restore the sweet reality of existence in relationship with God. A, a, a recovery 
a, a, a reoccurring promise begins to be declared throughout the Old and New Testaments. And the quick and skinny of this reoccurring promise that, that begins to be made that, that was stated in Revelation, I just stated a while ago, but it begins to be made as promises. Promises that says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. I will dwell in your midst. Words, God is beginning to make promises that, the, that this experience of separation that began in the garden because of human rebellion gets fixed by the end of the scriptures and yet everything in between unpacks the details as to how it gets remedy. And all throughout, God keeps making promises. I will be your God. You will be my people. The dwelling place with God will be among men. Even, remember last year when we were going through the book of Exodus, and Exodus 19, this is just one of the examples of this pattern that God establishes throughout his word, bringing to fruition what we'll see at the end of the scriptures. But when he redeems Israel from Egyptian captivity, he says there in Exodus 19.4, for you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. You see, the highest, the greatest, the deepest dimension of this thing called salvation is living once again joyously in the presence of the God who made us. Ever since humanity has been separated from God because of sin, God has promised, God has purposed to remedy our separation so that we would be brought back into a state of reality in in accordance to that which we were made to experience, relationship with the God who made us. We were made to experience a wholeness, a satisfaction, a fulfillment, a joy, a peace, a strength that can only be found in the presence of our God. Seeking to find wholeness, satisfaction, fulfillment, joy, peace, or anything else you can think of at the moment. Yourself can only be found in turning from yourself and turning to Jesus. For these are only found in the presence of what God has done in Christ by his spirit. So what God ultimately gives to us in this, in this term salvation itself is that he gives us himself. Simeon sees this in seeing Jesus. In, in, in a sense, he is, he is holding salvation even as he holds the God-man
But in saying that Jesus himself is our salvation, we certainly mean uh, that in terms of he is the ultimate blessing of salvation, but we can also speak of Jesus not only as the ultimate outcome of our salvation, we get to live in relationship with him, but we can also speak of Jesus as our salvation in that he is the personal agent. He is the very means by which we would receive the final outcome of our salvation. How does God bring us back into relationship with himself? He brings us back into relationship with himself by coming down and getting us. Rescuing us. None other than God himself is the means of salvation. None other than God himself is the final outcome or object of our salvation. For in Jesus, the person of the Godhead comes down for us. I like the way John says it at the beginning of John's gospel. Introducing us to Jesus, he describes Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a couple of verses on down, he says, and the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. There's the presence of God with his people once again, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father. You see, in Jesus coming down to rescue us, it's none other than God himself coming down to rescue us. For as the angel announced to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And and then to be even more specific, he then continues to tell Joseph that his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. How does God bring us back into relationship with himself? God himself comes down and gets us. He is, Jesus is the object of our salvation and the outcome of our salvation and he is the instrument or the means of our salvation. It is, it is, Jesus, it is God in Jesus who delivers and saves us. And this delivering and saves us is what brings us into relationship with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Thus, to have Jesus is to have salvation in all of its layers. To not have Jesus is to not have salvation in any of its layers. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. For Jesus is our salvation. I think that's what Simeon is telling us here. But what Simeon does next, he not only focuses us up on the center of, of, his, uh, of Jesus as his testimony, but he, he then, well, he didn't get, well, sometimes us old guys get strange. And Simeon introduces us to, 
I don't know the best way to tag it, but in the, in the notes I've just tagged it, tagged it the conflict in Simeon's testimony. Verse 33, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, who wouldn't marvel at that, you know? But now they're going to get freaked out. Um, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You have yourself a Merry Christmas, right? Like, that, that. These words are obscure. These words are cryptic, mysterious. And I, and I think, I mean, after all, here's a mother uh, with her newborn infant at the temple, and here's an old guy holding him. Uh, I, I, but there's a, there's a certain kindness, I suppose, in the oddity or the, the mysteriousness, the, the, the crypticness of this language I mean, uh, what mother of an infant would want to fully grasp the tragic significance of what be- will become of her son when he grows up? Just leave it vague for now. And Simeon does. He's a tasteful old guy, even though he is a bit of a kook. I would suggest to you that what Simeon is cryptically pointing to is he's pointing to the death and crucifixion of Jesus and all of the implications and unraveling from that. And, and yet I think he also points to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. What he is saying is that this little baby, the, the very center of salvation, is also the, the climactic conflict of, the, of human history of all of the ages the great dividing line in all of reality is where one stands with Jesus. One can reject Jesus and the outcome of that will be condemnation. Or one can embrace Jesus and the outcome of that will be Jesus, salvation. And the reason that Jesus and Jesus alone can offer such terms, the reason that Jesus and Jesus alone defines whether or not you and I fall or you and I rise, is because this Jesus, having lived a perfect life, went to the cross And there at the cross, having lived a perfect life, having pleased his Father in every way, having been obedient in every nook and cranny of the law, having fulfilled every facet of God's righteousness, this Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice to take our sins, to take the sins of any and all who would look to him and trust to him, trust in him, and this Jesus would perfectly satisfy divine justice. This Jesus would fully and finally provide full pardon. This Jesus would forever provide eternal redemption of living in relationship with the God who made us. 
this Jesus by experiencing separation from his Father. This Jesus would ensure that those who now trust in him would never experience separation from our God. Do you know him? Are you trusting in Jesus? This is Christmas. This is what this Christmas thing is about. Grappling with Jesus, fleeing to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, relying upon Jesus, living for Jesus. For he alone has been separated from his Father so that you and I might come to the Father through Jesus who has paid for our sins, who has satisfied divine justice. This Jesus, not Jesus plus a host of other things that you might do to finish off his redemptive work, but this Jesus plus nothing else is all that you and I need to live in the relational presence of the God who made us. Do you know this Jesus? Are you trusting in this Jesus? Turn to Christ. You say, well, now, Joe, there's one thing I'm confused about, Ho, because you said that Jesus came uh, to demonstrate uh, uh, the, the point of salvation, and that is we would live in the relational presence of God. But then you read the book of Revelation, and it's like, so we got to wait till then? Oh, this Jesus who was raised from the dead and ascended, but when he ascended, he sent the presence of his spirit down to do now indwell the hearts and souls and lives of his people. So even now, while there is more to come, there is already more than enough to provide a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and strength and joy and peace. For right now, those who are trusting in Jesus are, the, are indwelt, are the inhabitants of the very Spirit of God. That, again, the final outcome of our salvation is the relational presence of God So he hasn't left us. He's right there with us. He's right there inside of us. Now one of the reasons I point that out is, and some of you know this sadly, there is never a more lonely season of the year than the holidays. There's never a time that it's more magnified and acutely felt that you might feel alone and abandoned and neglected and ignored. And while there is much more to await in terms of salvation, that is the presence of Jesus, there is already enough Jesus residing in those who trust in him, that even now, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our sadnesses, in the midst of our griefs, and griefs, in the midst of our losses, there is the presence of Jesus to bring fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and strength and joy. The psalmist says in Psalm uh, 16, for in your presence there are 
there, are, uh, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is pleasures evermore. Amen. The God who indwells us by his spirit is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. A, a God whose very presence is, is but the down payment of the final outcome of our salvation, and that is we will be his people, he will be our God, and we will dwell in his presence forever. Do you know this Jesus? Have you turned and trusted in this Jesus? For salvation is not merely a thing that Jesus does for you. It's not merely a thing that Jesus gives to you, this salvation is in fact the presence of Jesus himself. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word explains to us. Thank you for what your word teaches us. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the testimony of Simeon and for the sure word that he leaves to us for the hope and the direction that he provides to us. For in holding and seeing Jesus, he knew what he had. He had salvation. And so we're thankful, Father, of all the good things that you could give to us, of all of the wonderful things that you could provide for us, of all of the marvelous things you could surround us with, you have given us your most precious son. He is now ours. We are now his. Thank you. May we glorify you in the life that we live now in the presence of Jesus. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.